This is Corolla Digital. Hi, this is Adam Corolla. I want to thank you for supporting this podcast on the Corolla Digital Network. Everyone here at Corolla Digital is very proud of the shows that we put out every week and are excited about the future of our network. However, a patent troll is threatening that future by suing us. We need to fight back and beat the troll down. If we go down, all the other shows on the other networks you've grown to love are going to go down next. Visit fundanything.com forward slash patent troll to donate and find out other ways that you can help beat the patent trolls. Thank you and mahalo. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who really likes monsters. Hi, folks, and welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And they get better every week. That's right. It's true. No matter how tired I am, or Colonel Jeff is, or Dr. Chris is, no matter how smoky the air may be, no matter how long the traffic took, nothing matters in life, in our lives, in your lives, once that music comes on. It makes me feel good. I can close my eyes and just see that little band slash orchestra sitting there. Not so little. I guess they would be about 50 people. Whenever that was done, somewhere around, you got to figure 1934, something like that. Or 1924, or last week. But I mean, it it really it really makes you think. Boy, those guys were good. They make me happy. And of course, uh, once again, that's the Art Fuentes Orchestra and the Regina Panzo Dancers, featuring boy tenor Steve Golak, asking the musical question: If it's true that we're here to help others, then what exactly are the others here for? Boy. That's a pretty good question. And right off the bat, you say, hey, I never thought of that. And Colonel Jeff felt the same way. I said, you know what? I was never crazy about that whole thought of, well, you know what? We're here to help others. Or if you do that, it helps others. And uh, why don't you do this or that? Why don't you have that cookie sale and then we can help others? And... I, maybe I've grown too cynical, but every time someone comes up selling things, either in front of the supermarket or they knock on your door, they just have that look sometimes. Well, you know, like the shirt slightly out or a chipped tooth or something where you say, wow, I, I, I wish you well in life. I hope you get into something better. This happened a, a little bit ago. Somebody uh, knocked on the door, and it was a young fella, and I mean young, I guess he looked to be about 25 or 28 or something like that, and he was really close to being a good-looking regular guy. I mean, you could see, well, that guy might have come to Southern California to be in the movies or TV, and I don't know what happened to him, but... He was selling now for his team 
to get new uniforms or soccer shirts because they were going to, as he said, they were going to a big match in Europe. I think, I, I hate saying this, but I think people put in the word Europe every time they're trying to sell you something. Well, we're, we have a football club that's a soccer team, and there's a big match in Europe, and we want to go to the big match in Europe. We feel we could really beat a lot of teams in Europe. And he was trying to sell something, and I I give money to maybe every, not everybody, but close to everybody. I mean, if people are, I always give it to uh, women in the street and uh, guys in the, you know, in the street, and I've, uh, but this doesn't make me so special. And I've bought, you know, you can go into a Seven Eleven and get a sandwich and a Coke and, and put it in the bag and hand it to someone who looks like a down and outer. But, uh, boy, I didn't buy the soccer shirt from this guy. And I, I wanted to say to him, what are you doing? I mean, why are you, I didn't want to, of course, we all get scared. I get scared sometimes, I would think. I don't want this guy to get annoyed at me being in our neighborhood at my house and having me sort of unload on him, well, you know, you ought to do something better with your life, I think. And please don't come by to our house and bother us again. And thinking, well, maybe that's exactly what he'll do. But I just, you know, said no. And But it, that's kind of a reach out in a sense. You want to say, well, you know, if we're here to help others. Well, it didn't feel like at that time, but boy, to help others, to have a candy sale. I was disappointed the last couple of years because the Girl Scouts in front of the supermarket. Now, who doesn't buy from a Girl Scout, by the way? I mean, how do you, how do you not buy Girl Scout cookies from a Girl Scout? I think I've always bought those, and you always buy more than you need because, well, it's a Girl Scout. And she's got the, the Breck girl hair, and she got the freckles, and her mom and all the other moms, three or four other moms and three or four other girls, are in their Girl Scout uniforms, and they're selling candy, too, in front of the Girl Scout cookies, rather, in front of the supermarket. And I, I, I always get three or four boxes. What are they, three, four dollars a piece and a little more? And uh, But whatever it is... It makes the girls happy, and it makes me feel I've done uh, a sensible thing, a good thing for them. And you always get the chocolate ones that you put in the freezer and the peanut butter and blah ones, whatever they make. They're all okay, you know, or the vanilla cream, blah, things, ones, whatever they have. And plus, to be honest, the girls are very cute because the mothers standing behind the table of cookies are pretty good themselves. I mean, this is Southern California, and the the mother of the nine-year-old girl is pretty good. She herself could be selling some cookies, but, I mean, in a very attractive way, in a nice way. That's a complimentary thing to say. I know it doesn't sound like it, but it is that, you know, the guy coming by, dad coming by to get the extra gallon of milk or something for dinner that night or whatever else they need or some baby shampoo, dad gets to smile at the little girl and say, to the mother and say, uh, why, she's adorable. But then so's her mom 
And then all the moms go, oh, you, because they've heard it a thousand times an hour. But regardless, is that helping others? I, I, I think that's helping others. But as Steve, Steve Golak was wondering, is it true that we're here to help others? Then what exactly are the others here for? And I think his point is, and I think the tougher point and the more pointed point, as it were, is that who are the others when we're helping others? And uh, if someone's sending, selling uh, candy bars, big, thick, unknown name brand candy bars at the Little League field, and you know that the five, six kids you see walking around with the box of these selling these are reporting back to the fella in the station wagon, and are they using that money to help others or is it to help him? I don't know. And, you know, I, at a certain point I've said sometimes they're $10 for a bar of cookies because it has the implication that it's going to a, a charity. Sometimes it's $5. And sometimes what I've done is give the kid a couple of bucks, say like $2, and say, look, I don't want your candy and uh, and thank you and good luck, but here's a couple of bucks just for, well... Annoying us in the bleachers when I'm trying to watch my kid hit. But are those there? Are we there to help others? Are they there helping others? I, I, I don't know. All the money we've spent in our governments, local, state, and federal governments, to, quote, help others, unquote, what does that mean? I, I, I don't know anymore. Maybe I never knew. But, boy, that's a good question, Steve. So in answer to it... Steve's question, if it's true that we're here to help others, then what exactly are the others here for? I think a lot of the time, nothing. Maybe they're not here to do anything, or maybe there are no others. I wish the Girl Scouts, well, I will always buy cookies from them, and the, uh, the tart jokes about their mothers aside, it's always sweet to see a bunch of girls in front of a supermarket and spending a couple of hours after school one day in their uniforms. And I, I, I think I would trust the Girl Scouts to send that money to someone, to help someone. I would probably trust the uh, Girl Scouts. I don't think anyone else sells cookies like that. I guess you can't, it doesn't seem like a thing Boy Scouts would do. I don't know why. but Or got people, folks selling them at, at Little League games. But it's perfect for Girl Scouts, and I'll always do that. But are what exactly are the others here for? You got me, Steve. Good question, though. Which leads us right to a ballpoint update. That's right, a ballpoint update. This is a ballpoint pen update, but we've shortened it. So I just have, because it seems a, a little cleaner as a title to call it a ballpoint update. If you remember, Jeff lost a ballpoint pen here at the studio. He found... Another ballpoint pen that he didn't like. And it was square and stupid, and he didn't like it at all. And he used it for a day or so. And then it went blank. It just wouldn't write at all. No ink came out, nothing. And he said, oh, this stupid thing. And I didn't even like it in the first place. And he just kind of slammed it on his desk. And sure enough, a, a week later or so, he said, well, let me just try this thing again. And he and he clicked the ballpoint pen down. He tried again. Nothing. And then a week or two later, so let me try it again. And then suddenly it works again. It worked for him. It came back to life for him. And that reminded me that got me on a ballpoint update because 
I have a ballpoint comedy pen, a Bic pen. I love Bic pens. This is nothing against the Bic pen, nothing against the Bic pen company. I have always used Bic pens, which I call comedy pens. And they're the classic ones in the clear tubes that you all know with the cap that comes off, that you all know. And the also these comedy pens I use, there's another model that's worth a little more. I think they're 50 cents each or something. But I I always have one of those with me, and that's a comedy pen. And one went blank the same way. This is a couple of years ago already, and it just wouldn't work. And I would click it down. It's a regular ballpoint pen. You click it down, and it's plastic still, but I love the design of these things, and they write good comedy. And I didn't throw it out. I just put it on the desk and said, oh, you stupid thing, you. But I put it on the desk, and after Jeff found this pen, I started picking that pen up, and I decided I'm going to bring mine back to life, too. And I've been doing that every single day, folks, except, of course, for the days I've if I've gone on the road for a few days. But I come back, and I did it today when I'm at my laptop, and I it's a procedure and a tradition now. I smile at the pen, I click it down, and put it onto a pad and start to write my name. you got to write something. So I start to write Larry Miller, and sure enough, nothing has come out. And then I gently just lick a finger and use some of that saliva to put it on the ballpoint. And I do, and maybe that'll lubricate it or help the liquid ink in there get to be more liquidy. But it hasn't worked, and I did it again today. And it hasn't worked. Again. And I will tell you when it does work. And if you think, well, yes, but what's the point now? Oh, there's a point. Because today, Jeff's back-to-life pen was stolen. That's right. Colonel Jeff had his found, came-back-to-life pen stolen. And it came back to life for him. It was it was for him. I, he did it for him. I, I, I'm sure of this. And even he said, well, I didn't feel that close to it. And I said, yes, you did. Yes, you did, because you didn't throw it out. And it came back to life for you, not for anyone else, for you, not for me, not for Dr. Chris, not for anyone else at the studio here. And, and I said to him, in fact, there was another show at the studio, a famous, well, essayist, a famous writer, a famous speaker who was on the show with Dr. Drew. And he was on, and I saw him, and I heard his voice, and I recognized his voice, and I said, how do you like that? So-and-so is here. I don't want to mention him just because I don't want to embarrass him. And because I said to, because I said to Colonel Jeff, listen, I'll bet you a dollar that it wasn't anyone who works here who stole your pen. I bet it wasn't any of the grease monkeys who are here, always covered with things. They're, they're good guys, and they're always working on one of Adam's cars and or one of their cars or a car on the street. I don't even know. But they're always working on something, and I'll bet you it wasn't any one of them who came in here because I think we can trust all of them. I'll tell you what, I said to Colonel Jeff, I'll bet you that same dollar that it was some of so-and-so's, this guy's crew, when he had his couple of assistants there. And I said, I bet it was one of them who just saw your pen sitting here and said, I'll take that pen, I'll steal that pen, and it'll work for me. And Colonel Jeff thought for a second and immediately said, oh, no, it was someone here. And 
I said, what do you mean? He said, it was uh, one of our guys. I don't, I don't think it was anyone else. One of our guys would very, very easily just stick his head in my office here and just say, hey, look, I think I'll take that. And uh, and the point is that the uh, the well-known guy came out, and I walked over and introduced myself just to say hi, and he had his two guys here, and they seemed pretty good at their work. They were handing things out. I don't know to whom. I mean, there's only... Well, Dr. Chris, Colonel Jeff, and me here, and a couple other guys in the back working on cars, but there's no one to hand out the the flyers to. But they were very nice. And then, as a cherry on top is a final hello and how do you do from Ace Broadcasting here, one of the fellow's other assistants, a tall, lovely, blonde young woman, uh, came out and uh, just said to everyone in particular... Does anyone know if there's any toilet paper around here? Because that's the kind of place this is here at Ace Broadcasting. I've talked about it before, and I love talking about it, because I didn't know she was here. And yes, it's true that when I arrived, I went into, there's there's a man's bathroom, which is, well, it's a bathroom, and there's a woman's bathroom right next to it. And that's a little nicer. And I always go to the woman's bathroom because... Well, there's no one around here. There's a couple of guys working on cars, and there's the colonel and the doctor. And so I can go in there. I don't close the door. I, well, I just stand there and evacuate. And since I said stand, you know what I'm evacuating. There's no reason to be any more specific. But I do that, and then I, well, I put the seat back down because it's a woman's room. And then I turn on the sink, wash up, wash my hands, and uh, dry them up. But the point is, I didn't know she was right there, not watching. I mean, she she was in the in the hallways there at the other studio. So Colonel Jeff was nice enough. He walked out, and I knew he was going to get her some toilet paper because that's the kind of staff we are here, my friends. And that's the ballpoint pen update. The ballpoint update. Jeff's pen, stolen. My pen broken. But we will persevere and we will break through. And I will keep you updated. And by Amazon. That's right, Amazon. Still the best deal in show business. You you say to yourself, I could go to Amazon right now on my laptop, on my iPhone, on whatever I have, and I can order anything I want. But you don't. You won't. You shouldn't. What you do is you go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. You go to LarryMillerPodcast.com, and we have a banner there. That's a, it's a blue banner. And it's, I had to look through the window. Can't remember anything. It's a blue banner, and it says Amazon. You click our banner on the podcast that says Amazon, and we take you there. You can go nap in a nice easy chair with a magazine over your head and we will take you to Amazon and once you get there and we're pretty fast at it, you then you can order anything you want, anything you can possibly imagine and you're happy and Amazon is happy. They can give you everything they want and we're happy here at the show at This Week with Larry Miller and the reason we're happy is because Amazon sends us a percentage of what you order 
And we're all glad. We put ours toward our next big fancy fried chicken dinner with cocktails first, or avec cocktails, I guess I could start saying. And in any case, that's why Amazon is the best. They have everything in the world you could want. You get it, they send it, and we take part of it. So thanks. And by PayPal. That's right, PayPal. The name of the company that is still the most fun for me to say, PayPal. And what you do is you go to them, and boy, they do a good job. It's sort of like, well, it's sort of like giving to a charity in a way. What you do is send to us the price of three drinks at your favorite bar. Whatever it is, go to your favorite bar in the middle of the day, and you could be the first time you went there. But if it's if it's a place you know, place you like, you go in and say to the bartender, how much is a drink here? And he'll tell you. And what you do is you multiply that by three and send us that money. And that's one drink for Colonel Jeff, one drink for Dr. Chris, and one drink for me. And as I always advise, and I mean this, once you're already in the bar, once you've spoken to the bartender... Once, once you know what everything costs, once you feel comfortable in the place, as long as you're there in the afternoon, order a drink, buy a drink, have a drink. Sit down at the bar and say, you know what, as long as we've been speaking, I would like, please, a slow gin rum, or whatever it is you can think of. And you'll be glad you did. And, and thank you for sending us that, that dough in advance. That brings us to the joke of the week. My favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. I love jokes, and you love jokes, and these are jokes you can share. You can listen to these. It's not like listening to my performing in, say, my one-man show or on the road anywhere. It's not any other comedian you may like, and you say, Oh, I like the way this guy thinks. I like the way this guy talks. It's not that. It's jokes that I always love, that you love, too, that... Oh, just just fun, you know, that uh, two guys walk into a bar and it's just regular jokes. And so uh, that's what I love doing on the show. And Colonel Jeff does a lot of the research. He goes through hundreds of jokes on the Internet and finds at least 10 or 20 that might be good. And that takes a lot of time, by the way. It takes a lot of work. And uh, it's not something he likes doing. No one would like doing that. You might think, oh, I'd like doing that. Because they're all jokes. Yeah, they're not good jokes, though. In any case, Colonel Jeff finds a bunch that are good, and he found this one this week, and here it is. A honeymoon man on his honeymoon with his new bride staggers into an emergency room. The guy is alone, and he's got two black eyes and a five iron wrapped tightly around his throat. And well, naturally, the doctor asks him, what happened? And he says, well, I'm here on the island on my honeymoon. And, well, my 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 wife and I, he said, oh, it was like this. I was having a great round of golf with her. And then she sliced her ball into a pasture of cows. But, well, being a new husband, I, I decided, well, honey, you know what? I'm going to look for it. And don't you worry about it. And I uh, hopped over the fence. And uh, while I was rooting around in there, I noticed... Can you believe it, Doc? One of the cows had something white at its rear end. And I walked over and lifted up the tail. And sure enough, 
There's my wife's golf ball stuck right in the middle of the cow's butt. And, well, that's when I made my mistake. And the doctor says, made your mistake? What did you do? And the fellow says, well, I lifted the tail and yelled to my wife, Hey, honey, this looks like yours. <laughs> so there you are. A good post-Mother's Day joke to pass around to your friends. And by the way, send us jokes. Colonel Jeff and I were just talking about this. Remember, our website is LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. But please, if you know a joke that you like, send it to us. Write it out just the way these are written out. As uh, Colonel Jeff had mentioned, I had a lot of jokes I've done on the show that I had heard over the years and that I began to remember. Then I would ask my friends, other comedians, hey, do you know a joke that could be on the show? And they would tell me jokes. And Dr. Chris came in sometimes, and a lot of times, actually, and he said, hey, I heard one. Hey, I wrote one down. Hey, see if you like this one. And Colonel Jeff has done the same thing. So what I'm saying to you is, our friends... Our friends in podcast land, what you do is please write down jokes you know and send them to us at LarryMillerPodcast.com. And if you do, and if we use it, first of all, we'll send you a fond tip of the hat. And second of all, you might just find yourself being an orchestra leader or a dance instructor or a boy tenor or a girl tenor. A couple of times we've had a girl tenor, too. So in any case, send us a joke, and uh, and you might just hear, hear it on the air. And that brings us to my second favorite part of the show, the Poetry Corner. Yes, the Corner of Poetry. And that not only makes me feel good about reading poetry, but poetry is a great thing. Sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're sad, but a real poet, a good, a good poet, a great poet, a real poet from the last 100, 200, 500 years is always worth bringing onto the air to you so that we can hear a different way of how to live life. And I think this is a terrific one. It's, it was also found by the Colonel, and this is by Robert William Service, and it's called A Grain of Sand. If starry space no limit knows, and sun succeeds to sun, there is no reason to suppose our Earth the only one. Mid countless constellations cast a million worlds may be, with each a god to bless or blast, and steer to destiny. Just think a million gods or so to guide each vital stream with over all to boss the show a deity supreme. Such magnitudes oppress my mind from cosmic space it swings so ultimately glad to find relief in little things. For look, within my hollow hand while round the earth careens, I hold a single grain of sand and wonder what it means. 
Ah, if I had the eyes to see and brain to understand, I think life's mystery might be solved in this grain of sand. Isn't that nice? Isn't that lovely? That's, once again, a great poet, Robert Service, and it's someone just thinking of life and looking at life and saying, boy, every time you think of the biggest things and what might be nothing or everything and how crazy it might be, I, I can't even think of that. It, it doesn't satisfy me, and I can't figure it out. But that's when, and it's true in all life, in this case he talked about coming back to just looking at your life and a grain of sand in the hand. But boy, folks, it's true for you and true for me, too, because that's why, well, not only do you and I share a lot of beliefs and a lot of thoughts on how things are constructed, but you know something? It makes us happy again to realize, well, if you can go home tonight and make a nice dinner for everyone or someone has made a nice dinner for you and everyone, or you pick up the day's paper and you sit down in an easy chair in the living room and you don't even take your tie off and you feel a little like Ward Cleaver. And there's nothing wrong with feeling that way. And you sit there and maybe your wife makes you a big fancy cocktail and sets it down on a coaster and you smile at each other and you read a little of that paper and you chat a little bit. You know what? Those little things are huge, and you know it, and I know it. And, in fact, if she walks over and just smiles and says, how's that drink tonight? And you get to say, you know, honey, it's terrific, and thank you for thinking of it. And did you put a little something else in? And if she says, uh, you know, I did. I was trying this time. I put the ice in first, and whatever she says, it's a good conversation. And when the kids come home from school or if they're home already and you go into their rooms and you say hello and you try to resist the urge just to go, well, just to hug them all over and just eat them up and you just smile the same way and think, boy, thank you, God, for this whole life. This is pretty good. And I hope I'm doing my part, but you sure did yours. So... In any case, that's why Robert Service wrote a great poem called A Grain of Sand. And that brings us to the third and a half favorite part of the show for me, the magic movie moment. That's right, the magic movie moment. And what this means is something we all love, which is a good movie or a great movie. And whether we've seen it 30 times or just once, and it's usually one we've seen 30 times, there can be extra special good parts in it. One scene, or one actor doing a terrific job, or one patch of dialogue, or one city street that's lit just the right way, or one piece of direction, or anything in the movie that you just like, you really love. And it means something to you. It means something the first time you saw it, and every time you see that movie now, you look forward to that one scene you like or that one conversation you like. And that becomes a magic movie moment for you. And 
This week, for me, it was thinking back to, speaking of saying, talking about monsters a little earlier, a movie called The Haunting from 1963. And one of the reasons this came up is because it's a terrific movie. It's a great movie. It's really well made, and it's really worth seeing. But I don't like being scared. I really don't. I don't like most modern monster stories. I don't like when people reach around a corner and they've been hiding there and they go to grab someone in the movie. I don't like that. I don't like feeling like that. I I don't like feeling like that as a viewer. I don't like being in a theater or just in front of my TV, sitting up in bed or anything at all. I don't like being scared by monsters. I know people love monsters. Some people just love monsters. And some people love being scared. And some people love scaring others. And I know this is a broad stroke, but I'm just going to say I think these people, for the most part, are sick. I think this is a sick thing to do. If you remember something, this is really allied, tied to the whole concept of practical jokes, for instance. I've never liked practical jokes. I never quite got what practical jokes are. I never understood why it was funny to put a bucket of water on top of the door frame so that when someone comes into the room, he or she gets splashed with the water and brained with the bucket. And I didn't understand, I never understood why then someone laughs at that. Someone else in the room goes, ha, 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 got you. Well, what did you get? Why did you do this? Why did you get that person? Why did you think to get someone? I really don't understand. I don't understand why, as kids in elementary school, one kid would either crack your beautiful big pen or one kid would crack a pencil or or spread some ink on your desk. Boy, I'm thinking like 1880, spreading ink. <laughs> that's that's before the that's before the little rascals. No, they still used ink, didn't they? But anyway, the the point is I never got... That kid, by the way, that kid who loves breaking your things, that kid who loves setting you up to get blamed for something, that kid who loves spreading ink on your seat, guess what? He grows into the one who puts the bucket of water on the doorframe. That's the same person. That's not a terrific, sophisticated, worldly, James Bond-type figure. It's a monster. He's a monster himself, and he just doesn't, doesn't realize it. You could say to that guy, why was that funny to you? Because it was not funny to me. No one else in the room thought it was funny to them. It's not funny to anyone. And in this case, though, I'm just never a fan of when people say, oh, this is a great monster. Oh, this is a great movie. Oh, it's really terrifying. But I'll tell you something, the movie, The Haunting, is wonderful because I don't think there's a monster in it. And I was talking to Colonel Jeff about it, and he didn't think there was either. I've seen that movie only once, and the reason it's only once is because it still scares me a lot. And I don't want to be scared. I saw it again. It was on over the weekend. I saw it, well, just for a second or two at a time, but... What they do is the way they shoot this, and there are wonderful actors in it, not necessarily someone you might consider a star. There's Julie Harris, right, and Russ Tamblin, 
and uh, boy, a bunch of terrific actors. But it's not that there are stars in the movie, and it's not that there are monsters in the movie or ghosts in the movie. There are no monsters and no ghosts. But this giant, old, mansion-type, castle-looking house. And by the way, you see a picture of this. If you look this movie up, The Haunting, you see a picture of the house. And this worked on me, too, just from a distance, showing the photograph of that house. You think, I don't want to go in there. You really don't. It's the kind of place you look at and think, there have got to... I said that to the colonel. I said, look at that picture. That house must have a thousand tunnels and phony closets and fake doors that lead somewhere and nowhere. And, boy, I just don't want to be in that hallway when someone says, say, I left another case of beer up in that room to the left there. So just go up the stairs, go down the hallway, and down to that room. I don't want to make that trip. Well, it depends on what kind of beer it is, I guess. No, I don't want to make that trip, and I'll bet you don't want to make that trip. I would say, you know what, come take a walk with me up the creaky stairs, down the creaky hallway with the carpeting and the old dark wood, and we just look down another 50 feet and see a doorway at the end of the hall and think, oh, man, that doesn't look good. That's the way the haunting is. Everything they shoot, everything they set up, and it's not done in a phony movie way of really close up on the terrified eyes of the people. Oh, they have the people getting scared and then talking to each other, but nothing in the house has a monster in it. It's just photographing, well, the banister and the bookcase and a door. And you, in your mind, as the colonel was saying, what's in your mind is scarier than what you see come out to strangle someone. Well, not in real life. You don't want either of those. But I think he's exactly right. It's what's in your mind. And boy, oh boy, I'll tell you, that movie, The Haunting, is a very interesting look. It's well worth seeing for you. If See it with someone there, see it with a friend. It's not that it's horrifying, terrifying, but it's pretty scary and it tells a story truly. It tells the story honestly of what these people are doing staying there. You know, that be, that became a classic. And it's true. It's a good classic of, of the Three Stooges and, uh, you know, Laurel and Hardy or, or I Love Lucy or the Marx Brothers or something where they say, Hey, your Uncle Lou just passed away and he left you whatever they they left in those days, what was it, a million dollars or something? Or you get the house. You can have his old house from the Civil War days, and all you have to do, you already know what's coming, folks, all you have to do is spend one night there. And as soon as I, even as a kid, as soon as I heard that, I went, oh, man, don't spend the night. You know what's going to happen there. That bed, you get into that bed, and suddenly the bed's going to slide back into the wall and disappear. And then you're in another bedroom or in the hallway that leads down to the dungeon. I know this may sound silly, but you know exactly what I mean. I, I, I don't like things like that. But the haunting does it well. They don't have anything like that in there. But boy, oh, boy. What you can do in your own mind is really something. And so you know what, folks? In this case, the magic 
moving moment for me is that when one of the characters who keeps getting tied closer to the house and associated with the house and sort of a client of the house in a way, and she's really buying into her relationship with the house and that the house exists somehow and that the house is influencing her. And when she makes her decision to stand up and to, well, be part of this in a way. And what happens, she gets in a car and she starts to go and she sees the wife of another character and she desperately veers off in the car. And then she's still on the hotel, the, the house grounds, by the way. She hasn't gotten to the gate. And she, at the last second, veers away so she doesn't hit and kill the wife of that man. And as a result, she slams off the road and into a tree where, as part of the story, well, that's where the the woman, the first owner of the house, many years ago, hundreds of years ago, was first killed too and is buried under that tree. And it's a, ooh, it's, a, it's certainly scary. But my magic movie moment is no matter how far she fell, no matter how her relationship soured with that house, no matter how big a mistake it was, she still held true to one of the great premises and promises of life, and she did not kill that woman standing in the road. And that reach back to goodness, to decency, and to respect, I think is a magic movie moment for that character. The character didn't know it. The character didn't think that way. But I think that way, seeing her do that. That's why, well, it's a magic movie moment for me, and I hope for you. It's from 1963. The movie is called The Haunting. And when you see it, if you've never seen it, or when you see it again, if you've seen it a lot, do watch what I've been talking about. There's, well, it's it's shot in black and white, which is perfect for this movie. And no monsters, no one's scared, no one staggering down a hallway holding up a battle axe with a giant wolf's head on and nothing like that. But it sure is a good horror movie and it sure gets into your head and it's sure worth seeing. See it with, well, someone you love sitting next to you or a couple of old friends. and But you'll see it one of these days. And think of us here at, well... This Week with Larry Miller, and then send us a note on LarryMillerPodcast.com and tell us what you think of The Haunting. And the reason also I wanted to talk about the use of monsters this week is because my kids and my wife saw Godzilla over the weekend. They saw the new movie, Godzilla, the new one that just came out, and they loved it. And they came back. And they said, you know, Dad, it was terrific, and it was fun, and really well done, and well made, and believable in all the right ways, and funny, and sad, and scary. It was all the good things, and the, we were really glad we were there. And I, and I said, this has happened before, but it'll happen again. And I said... Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll go see it soon and we can talk about it. And they just immediately all said, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go see it. And I said, why? And they said, 
it's a little scary for you. And because they know, and I'm glad they know. I don't mind that they know that I, I, I don't want to see something like that. That's just scary. And I asked about the monster because I care about the monsters, how they look. I used to love old monster movies where the monsters look a little goofy, a little knuckleheaded. I like that. Not because they look stupid, but it lets me be a little distant from the story. I like, talk about Godzilla, I like the original Godzilla, where you don't see strings holding it up. I have no idea how they even make those things. But I thought that Godzilla was terrific. And all the dinosaur movies, the ones where they, you know they're not new dinosaurs. I thought King Kong was terrific as far as that goes. The old King Kong from, what is that, 1932 or something like that? Just a terrific movie in every way. Folks, how much better can you do in a monster movie of love than King Kong where the last line, the big handsome adventurous guy says, uh, what is it, the, the, fire, the head fireman or the, head, the chief of police says, looks down at the dead King Kong and said, well, I guess we got him. I guess the planes got him with their guns and... The adventurer who's been there the whole way says, No, twasn't planes that killed him. Twas beauty killed the beast. And you know something, folks? I think that's exactly true for that story. And I think it's a great line to put in the movie. What a great closing line. Good Lord, twas beauty killed the beast. And it sure was. And that monster... That monster could look sad. That monster could look happy. That monster could look like he was in love. And he did all of those things. And he was not happy being chained up and brought in a ship and exhibited on stage in chains. He, he wasn't happy about that. He didn't say, boy, I've made it now. I'm on Broadway. And he wasn't happy that all folks in... Well, white tie and tails with top hats and gowns and, and pearls. Nothing wrong with those things, by the way. I mean, uh, I'd, I'd like to wear one of those things somewhere and go see a show. I don't know where that would be, by the way. Where would you wear white tie and tails these days? But you know what? King Kong wasn't happy, and he looked unhappy. That kind of monster was one I could love. I could see that King Kong over and over again and not be horrified or watching through my fingers. He was a good-looking, almost human, sad, funny, dramatic, loving creature, not a monster. So that's why I like the whole thought of older monsters, not real monsters. And by the way, Colonel Jeff was telling me that Godzilla, the one I'm talking about, the Godzilla, I think, from roughly 1960, isn't that through 1955, 1960, something like that. He said that Godzilla, because remember, that was made in Japan, and most of the cast is Japanese, and then almost it's almost comical, and then there's Raymond Burr, who I think is great, by the way. I always loved Raymond Burr and uh, as Perry Mason. He was also a great bad guy in a lot of westerns. He, he was a terrific actor. And Raymond Burr, who was not a giant star when Godzilla was made, but apparently the Japanese producers, the executives, the company that made the movie, that made Godzilla, it was originally just a Japanese movie. And Colonel Jeff said he saw it. He said it was just fabulous. It was a film noir, and it was 
really well done, and it was called Gojira, he said, capital G-O-J-I-R-A. And he said Raymond Burr was not in that version because that version, he said, you should see is just terrific, he said. And at a certain point, the Japanese studio wanted to show it in the United States. They wanted to send it to the United States. They wanted to make a deal to show it in every theater around the United States. And they found, well, a studio and a distributor who were agreed with them, who were very happy with that idea. They wanted to show it everywhere, too. But they said, well, in those days, they said, you know what? We uh, want the, we've got to put on and put in an American actor in it. And someone everyone knows, and they settled on Raymond Burr. Was I, I said to Colonel Jeff, so, so, I, so I guess Robert Mitchum and John Wayne passed on it. But the point is, they needed someone. They got someone. I remember Raymond Burr in it. And, well, I don't remember it being goofy, meaning that, oh, <laughs> what in the world is this guy doing speaking now? But I like that movie. And the same with Godzilla. Yes, he's destroying things, but as Colonel Jeff pointed out, you really don't feel bad that he's destroying things or that he's breaking down parts of the city and swapping, you know, the walloping buildings and they crash and then he's stepping on other buildings. He's not really killing people. He, he just, he's just a monster, but the way he looks is a kind of monster I can like, that I could enjoy, that I can be entertained by, but not today. I don't want someone to say to me, oh, you've got to see this or that movie. This is a, this is a horrifying monster. He'll really terrify you. You'll be crying, and you might even throw up. I don't want to do that. In a bar, sure, but I don't want to... No, I mean, I don't want to be crying. I don't want to be affected that way by a monster. And I don't like being affected by the, that way by a monster. And I, I never liked practical jokes. I never liked, as I said, the bucket of water on the on the door. I never liked anything that way. I don't know... I don't know why people like to be scared that way sometimes. I wish I knew the percentage of that. What percentage of people say, oh, I like being scared? You know, that's fine. If you like that, that's fine. I, I, I think you're a little nuts, but I, 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 if you like being scared, that's fine. Or the same percentage of people go who say, oh, I love make, being a practical joker. I love going boogie, 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 you know, behind a corner and just and frightening someone. And... You know, you know what? It, it reminded me. I told Colonel Jeff that uh, one Halloween, oh, a few years ago, oh, it was more than that. It was like uh, six, ten years ago that uh, there was the police station next to my kid's elementary school. That was a safe elementary school, by the way. You're right next to a police station. But it always looked good to us and the officers coming in, going out, and it was new in the sense that I think they were less than five years old, and they were throwing a Halloween party, and my kids said, oh, let's go, and I thought, hey, terrific idea, so I took the kids, and uh, my wife wasn't interested in that, and, I, and uh, that's fine, but uh, we went there on a Sunday afternoon, and they had, outside was great, they had, they put out a lot of things that were just fun to look at, they had a lot of old cars they brought out, police cars, and criminal cars that were shot up, and the police cars, the the ones from, say, a Broderick Crawford show in the 40s and 50s, and they had bullet holes in the side, and you could look at the police cars and say, look at that. It was pretty neat to say, holy mackerel. And you could get in the cars and, and say, 
to the kids and they could say to you, you know, this car was in it. There were officers in this car and they were in the fight. And that was pretty cool. But the point is then they, they had a, a walkthrough, sort of a haunted house set up in the police station. And we waited online. There It took a while. And this is fine. Things take a while. And this took about an hour, hour and a half for us to walk through sort of like a Disneyland line back and forth to get into the police station where the show started, where what they had set up started. And I was holding the little one. He's about three or four years old. And... Uh, our big boy was that time, I guess, six or seven. And we started walking through, and they had curtains set up. And the first couple of turns and a couple of ways to go were through these curtains. And then they had set up a lot of things in the police station. And the first time through the station, though, or through the curtains, at a certain point just after, well, you turn one way, then you turn the other way, and you're still going between these curtains that they had set up. And all of a sudden it hits me. Wait a minute, something's got to happen here. Not that I'm terrified, but I don't like being scared at it when I thought, and I'm holding the little one. And sure enough, we got to a certain part in the curtains, and suddenly two arms reach out and grab him, you know, through the curtains. And their arms made with monster stuff on, you know, like monster hands. And they, and he kind of just screamed and went, ah, you know, and uh, but not a good scream, whatever that is. This was a kid who, like me, didn't like being scared. And he's in my arms. I said, oh, okay, and I kind of just nudged him back, grabbed him back a little, and he was he was kind of, oh, oh, he was about three years old, and he wasn't happy, and he started to cry. And I said to him, you know what? I think maybe we've seen enough of this. What do you think? And we waited an hour and a half for it. He said, yeah, yeah. And so I took him out, and the other one walked through, and it was a pretty good show they put on that we didn't see. I mean, he said a lot of the jail cells had monsters in them and doing monster jail time. And uh, so that, I'm sure they had fine stuff. But that reminded me, who wants to be scared? Who wants to scare people? Why does that idea come up that way? And you know what the truth is? I don't know. I don't like it. I don't want to like it. And... Who likes monsters? Who likes scary things? Colonel Jeff and I sat down, and I, you know, I started to say, why is lighting matches in someone else's shoes funny? And the answer is, it's not. It's not for me. It's not for the guy whose shoes are being lit. Why is it funny for the guy lighting the shoes, who once again is the exact fellow who grew up who was breaking your things in elementary school? Why is lighting shoes funny? It's not. And... I said, is there anything in the world, in history, that has been funny, any kind of scary thing or thing that's supposed to be scary? And we both came up with the whoopee cushion, that the whoopee cushion is supposed to be scary or a joke or something. But then I, I realized, and we talked about this, that but a whoopee cushion is only used in a crowd. You're in someone's apartment, and there are 10 or 12 people around, and you sit down on the thing and it makes the sound. You know what sound it makes. And it uh, and it makes it pretty loud. And everyone, oh, and everyone laughs. But the person who sat on it doesn't get terrified. The person who sat on it doesn't go, ah, and start screaming and crying. The person who sits on it just says, oh, what in the world is that? And so a whoopee cushion, which was around, by the way, I wrote this name down. It was 
more or less invented, you can put that in quotes, in the 1920s here in America. That's another thing we did first, folks. And uh, But we looked it up. It goes back to Eagabalus, an emperor of Rome uh, in about the 3rd century going into. And he became emperor at 14 years old, by the way, when his friends got rid of the emperor just before him, Caracalla or something like that. And when I say got rid of, I mean got rid of. In those days, as you know, there was only way to get rid of someone, and that means as he came in to go to get ready to go to bed, you and 80 of your friends were standing there with swords, and he said to himself, this is not good. So they did that. They assassinated the emperor before Eagabalus. And then he, and he's 14 years old, and he was emperor for four years till he was 18. And all he did was have, well, sexual evenings in the Roman palace there. And he would have that, and he would make some of the, well, some of the fancier folks go along with this. And some of the fancier folks, he made sing the songs he liked and pray to the gods he liked. And they didn't like that so much. And then he was... He was uh, with a lot of women and a lot of guys, and uh, he would do anything. And from 14 or 18, those years he was emperor, that's when, well, someone else assassinated him at 18. Now, you could say, well, I guess that's the way it goes. Yeah, that's the way it goes. In fact, the one who assassinated him was his grandmother. That's how popular he was as the emperor of Rome. And Colonel Jeff said, why would anyone want to be the emperor of Rome? And I said, boy, you got me, but I don't think they did anything. I don't think they solved anything. I don't think they had committee meetings. I don't think they had meetings at 10 in the morning with the local sewer people. I don't think they did kind of anything except, well, pick a lotto and then see who you were going to chase, wink, wink, around the lobby of the big palace. So in any case, folks, if you like monsters... I'm glad. I don't understand it, but I know there are folks who do. I'd like to know the percentage of it, but it doesn't really matter because you and I know other things that matter more. We know that it's good to have a grain of sand in your hand, as Robert Service said, and not to worry too much about things you can't explain. And we know that Homer is Homer, And Pluto is a planet. And remember, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that is still the truest thing I know. Enjoy your own grain of sand, and we'll see you here next week.